There's nothing wrong with feeling low. It's I think the only problem is that when we feel low, it, we attach that to being less worthy. And I try not to do that anymore. So then the actual experience of being in a low is actually kind of fun. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to Let It Out, hosted by me, Katie Dalebout. And if you're new, welcome. I hope you stick around forever. Check out the archive. This week on the podcast, I have Jenna Zoe. She's a human design reader, an expert, and we obviously talk about human design, what it is, how it's been something that I have found so useful and just fun to go down the rabbit hole on and talk to my friends and family about, which I have been doing maybe too much. We also talk about that, but we don't just talk about human design and how to use it in your life and your relationships. We also talk about acne, parenting, family, connection, eating, and just kind of being people in the world. I really like this episode. And above all, I really like Jenna. She's just, and I think you'll get it when you, if you already know Jenna, you already know this, but if you don't, or if you haven't been following her and this is your first introduction to her, you'll find from this episode that she's just one of those cozy people. She's so fantastic. I think something that will illustrate what I mean before we get into the episode is if I tell you a little bit about the setting for when we recorded this episode. She was in town. She lives in London. She has a beautiful British accent, which you'll hear momentarily. But she was in New York a couple weeks ago, and she invited me to her her hotel room to record. So I go uptown to her beautiful hotel, and I walk in, and she was like, do you mind if I put on my robe? And I was like, no, no, I would would prefer it. (laughs) So not only does she put on her robe, she calls down and gets me a robe. So we sit there, both of us in robes, drinking tea, being cozy, sitting on her bed, having a long chat and getting to know each other, which you're about to hear now. I really enjoyed this conversation, whether you love human design and are here because you want to soak up all of the human design wisdom that you can, or you have no idea what human design is. I really, I didn't learn about it really until, well, I learned about it back in 2013, but I didn't really get back into it until somewhat recently. We talk all about all of that, which I'll just let Jenna explain much better than I can. But my point is, whether you're very into human design, you'll learn new things. Or if you've never heard of what human design is, and it sounds kind of weird and crazy, you'll figure out exactly what it is, how it came to be in this episode. I want to get to it as quickly as possible, but a couple quick housekeeping things. We have my publisher, Hay House, is doing a free training on how to become a published author. So I know I get a lot of questions on how I published my book and why I decided to go with Hay House as my publisher 
And it was 2016 when my book came out. So it's been a couple of years now. And, you know, it took a couple of years before that, but I love them. I love Louise Hay and her work and they've been so great to work with. So they're doing this writer's workshop, which is how I actually won my book deal. And I just wanted to mention it here in case it's something that you guys wanted to check out. It's a writer's workshop live master's class and the link to it is in the show notes. So check that out. And without further ado, let's talk about human design and much more with my friend, Jenna Zoe. It's really fitting that this week's episode is brought to you in part by Altera Pure, which is a textile system designed to change the way you think about organic bedding. And here's why it's fitting. We recorded this in a hotel room, like I said, and these sheets are hotel quality, cozy, really lovely sheets, but even better because they are organic and sustainable and they have a farm to fabric business model that ensures environmental and social sustainability through their deliberate design, their organic verification, their fair trade partnerships. And honestly, the sheets are so durable and cool and crisp. It feels like you're staying in this warm cocoon. I don't know how they do it, but I'm so happy that they do. And what's really great about the company is that they're dedicated to transparency. They share every detail of their fabrication process, which gives you peace of mind knowing you're making a sustainable purchase from really great people. I got to talk talked to the founder, Kevin, and he told me everything about the how the sheets are made and all the aspects of why they're so great. If you want to check them out, use the code LETITOUT for 15% off your entire order. And they don't limit the number of times you can purchase with them. So if you've already bought your sheets, maybe you want to get them for a friend or a holiday gift. Use the code again, LETITOUT for 15% off your order. Maybe you have multiple rooms in your house. I don't know. Use the code LETITOUT for 15% off your order. Thank you, Altera. I love your sheets so much. I'm traveling right now and I actually miss not just my bed, but my sheets. They're so great and I'm really grateful to have them and work with you. It's really cool that a company I love so much is sponsoring today's podcast. I've been using Sustain and their products for years. I even had one of their founders, Minka, on the podcast years ago just because I love her and what she's doing and this company. Sustain is your one-stop shop for all your vagina-friendly products, including condoms, tampons, lube. They make these really great wipes that I love using. And what do we mean by vagina friendly? Well, you know, organic, vegan, fair trade. We're talking sustainably made. And of course, free of synthetic ingredients commonly found in these products. And why is that important? Because You know, vaginas are actually the most absorbent, porous part of your body. So what goes inside there is really important. Here's the thing. Sustain is so wonderful because they make their products from 100% organic cotton. They're free of parabens and synthetic ingredients. They can be delivered right to your door. You can get them at the store. And they're really your one-stop shop for all your vagina-friendly essentials. I use their products, I use their tampons, I use their condoms, I love them. And here's the thing, Minka 
is not the only founder. She actually founded the company with her dad. The founders are a father-daughter team with deep roots in creating natural products. Jeffrey Minka's dad founded Seventh Generation many moons ago and obviously has a passion for creating natural products. And Minka has this long-standing passion for women's sexual and reproductive health. They make the perfect pair to bring sustain to the market. I love this company and I really think they're doing wonderful things. They even give 10% of their profits to women's healthcare organizations, which is so great because over 20 million women in the U.S. lack access to reproductive healthcare. I really think they're great and I'd love it if you check them out. So right now, you as a listener of this podcast can get 20% off your first time order and free shipping when you go to sustainnatural.com and use the code let it out at checkout. That's sustainnatural.com and use the code let it out for 20% off your order. Sustain is your one-stop shop for all your vagina-friendly products that you can put into your vagina. Ah, we did it. We're here. I'm Yay. so excited. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid? Ah, okay, so I was a really shy kid, actually. So your brothers and sisters, where do you uh, I'm the oldest, okay. and I have one of each below me. Okay. But I was a really shy kid, like really quiet, kept to myself. Like I remember being at all these like kids parties and just sitting in the corner eating my sandwich, like, you know, in one of those huge puffy dresses. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like quite a quiet, introverted child until I was probably about 12 or 13. That's kind of when I learned to like talk to people. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in London and what I wanted to be, I wanted to be a princess ballerina. I didn't even like I just made that up as a kid. And then that's all I wanted to be until I realized that you couldn't be a princess unless you married a prince. And then I didn't want to marry a prince. And then I decided to be a vet. When I was like 11 or 12. Oh, because you loved animals? I loved animals. Yeah. Did you, growing up in London, you're, you got into yoga really young, I heard yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. So, and your mom is Indian, right? Yeah. So was, how did you get into yoga? Were you athletic? What was mm, like your... I was never good at team sports, like ever. Same. Because of the people thing. Yeah. Um, but I was good at anything that I needed to, like just like walking or swimming for a really long time or um, anything that I could do by myself. Individual. I was like pretty good. And yoga we basically got into because we spent one semester in Colorado And so we were skiing basically every day. And my mom was like, I don't want you guys getting all like, you know, when you do too much of the athletic stuff, like you get really tight and all that stuff. So she was like, I'm sending you to yoga. You're (laughs) going to do something that's going to stretch you out. And was she into yoga? No, not at all. Like my mom hasn't exercised like for 40 years. That's so funny. But she was like, you guys are going to do something. Because me and my sister, she was like, you girls can't just be skiing all day. You have to do something to kind of like, you know, Something a little more feminine, I guess. Yeah. So she made us go to yoga every single day while we were there. And then when we came home, we just carried on. We got a teacher and we did it like three times a week until we finished school. Wow. So you liked it and it was, you know, something that was helpful when you were young. Because I also got into it very young. 
You did? Yeah. Really? In, it was like a high school gym class. Not as not as young, but in high school. Yeah. No way. Yeah. So they offered it in your school? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's gym kind class. of progressive. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was yoga slash Pilates, which I liked wow. both. And I, I still do. I don't really do yoga anymore, but I taught yoga for a year, like no all through way. college. Yeah. And I was like very into it. And now... I, it doesn't really work for my body. Like it, mm. I overstretched. And mm-hmm. so it's better for me to do more strengthening things. And, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, I'm That's happy so that I got it. I tried it and it, it opened up so much for me mm. at the time. Mm. The philosophy I liked, I, I, I kind of like everything about the yoga, but the yoga, you me know? Too. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's Do you ever get FOMO though when you're on Instagram and you see people doing it? Because that's the only time I'm like, oh, maybe I should get into it again. When I see people doing like a flow that looks really good, I'm like, maybe I should go back into it. And here every once in a while, I'll like go to a class or try Mm. a new studio or go with a friend and just because it's so fun. And then I, it's kind of like riding a bike, you know, you Mm -hmm. get back into it and do it. Yeah. But I don't miss the like doing it every day thing. Because I was so dogmatic about it. I I would start to dread it. Like I'd be like, oh, I got to do yoga tonight. Like Mm. it was just a thing, you know? Yeah. And um, anyway, yeah, it's interesting. I guess also, did we, in your chart, did we say if you were good with consistency or not? Because like, trying to do something every day as well is like great for some people when they're like when they have consistency in their chart they love like do exercise every single day that that, that like that works really well for them and then other people like it's just not I don't know I don't remember what you said but I'm fascinated now so I might have you look and I kind of <laughs> yeah. wanted you to look at the end of this podcast anyway so great. people can can hear so earmark that to, okay to look okay so you wanted to be a ballerina when you grew up mm-hmm. what would your younger self have thought of what you're doing now do you think do you know, girl. I don't even think that my younger self, oh, when we're talking about maybe sort of eight or 12, I don't even think that I knew that this was a thing. Yeah. And I think then my later self, like my teenage self would have probably thought that, well, I just thought that the only way to be successful would be to kind of like, you know, be in a boardroom or in the corner office, like walking around on these like big floors totally. and, you know, that kind of thing. So that was kind of always my ambition. And I really wanted to be like in, magazines or newspapers or anything like that too you know what's funny about that I feel like wanting to be in magazines and newspapers or not newspapers but like especially magazines like Mm -hmm. being a journalist Mm -hmm. like I studied journalism in school and I honestly think it was because of romantic comedies do you notice how like all of the romantic comedies the girl is a journalist and she wears like cute work (laughs) outfits and she lives in New York City and I just like or like Carrie Bradshaw or like I just wanted like I think there that was probably like imprinted in my mind somewhere subconsciously so true they do make it look so glamorous and then you try it and you're like "Uh oh yeah this is not my yeah and I probably would have looked at like right now I really like what my life is and I guess Mm. this is kind of my form of journalism yeah but I am not someone who like I thought I would be someone with like a cell phone back then like a big huge one but Mm. like I thought I'd be someone with a cell phone who wore sweater sets and like had an Mm -hmm. office and wore high heels and like my life is so not that but I I like it better but as a kid like I don't know what I would look from a kid to now to see and be like I don't know what I would think you know also what I think changed so much is that when we were teenagers 
there wasn't this culture of basically having whatever job you want and whatever you create. And I think that for the next generation who are like teenagers mm-hmm. now, they'll grow up being able to know that whatever job they want yeah. is something that's not just like the hundred jobs that are prescriptive type of yeah. thing. Like they'll just be able to do whatever they want. Yeah. So when we were thinking about what we wanted to be, there was no way that you could say yeah. a podcaster because that wasn't even a totally. thing. It didn't even or, exist. Or, you know, me doing human design is, I didn't even know what that was. You know, yeah. there's no it way that I would have. even existed. Like it was, so new and yeah it was um so it was discovered in january of 87 which is exactly when i was born wow so it was born in the same year that yeah. you were and in january um, too mm-hmm. wow that's yeah that has to be significant Isn't that strange yeah, yeah that like really gives weird. me chills i only discovered that like way late into my i was probably doing human design for like two years before i discovered that wow. so it was like really strange yeah so until the founder died all he did was teach small groups of people so you're right it was definitely in its infancy which is why of course like there's no way that I would have come across it at all wow that's so fascinating okay so let's get into it what is human design for people listening we've we've kind of mentioned it a couple Mm -hmm. times here I've recently I was telling you when you did my chart that Years ago, in like 2013, I met a human design reader and I was like, oh, this this is kind of bizarre. And I wasn't really into her vibe. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of tossed me off to the whole, Mm -hmm. I threw the baby out with the Mm bathwater. And then when I discovered you recently, Mm -hmm. I've just totally become fascinated and it's helped me in so many ways. And and you read my chart and it totally made me feel articulated and all the Mm -hmm. things. But let's start for someone who has no clue what human design is. Mm -hmm. When was it discovered? What is it? Mm -hmm. Because it can be kind of esoteric and difficult to understand. So explain it as if you were explaining it to someone who has no idea and is maybe more logical and even skeptical. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for me, the way that I like to think of it is basically like reading who you came to be. It's reading your aura, your energetic body. So imagine three feet around you, you have a body of energy. You have your invisible energy. And basically, if you think about all of us as like computers, we all have a software that is like already pre-installed in us. And so if we use that software correctly, then we're going to experience a lot more flow in life and we're going to experience ease, divine timing, more synchronicity, a quicker speed to getting to who, who we really are. But basically, when we come into the world, the world then tells us, like our parents tell us, you need to be more like this to be loved. Maybe not Mm -hmm. so um, uh, explicitly, but implicit. And then the world tells us, you need to cultivate this quality to be successful. You need to be more like this person to get your way in life and blah, blah, blah. So what happens is we abandon our real selves in order to become something that we're not. And so what human design is basically about the business of being your higher self. And so what we like to say is that it's kind of an unbecoming where you're shedding all that conditioning that tells you you need to be something else other than what you are. And it helps you identify the stuff that you actually are and always have been so that you kind of find it easy to get back to that basically. So cool. Yeah. So who discovered it? What is kind of the history behind it? You mentioned it's really pretty recent. Super recent. So it was discovered by this guy called Ra Uruhu, who was in Ibiza in an eight-day meditation. Well, he heard a voice, started listening to it, and it basically channeled through him all the wisdom of human design. And it took eight days for him to basically download all of it, which is really cool. Wow. And um, he had his dog 
kind of like coming in and out or he was aware of the presence of his dog at the time. So that also prompted him to um, download the design of plants and animals and cells and basically everything living that is on this planet. So human design is obviously just a part of the design of everything that we have. Wow. Yeah. Do you know much about him? Like where, what's his background? What was he doing? His real name, I forget what his real name is, but it mm. wasn't Ra Uruhu and that was much more his spiritual uh, name. I yeah, think. his spiritual name when he sort of like became the founder or whatever you want to call it yeah. of human design. And then he basically continued to live in Ibiza the rest of his life, basically teaching through having courses, having people come, recordings of, of his lectures that obviously all still lives on. And then he also, he's also the guy that designed the software that allows you to see what you yeah, are as a person yeah. because obviously that had to come from the down the downloads that he received so when you're looking up what design you are and you go to one of these websites my favorite being mybodygraph.com and you type in all your birth information he dedicated his life to designing that kind of software and much more advanced software too for reading people and and getting wow. access to to the human design knowledge that we have today i'm fascinated by him so was he doing like spiritual work before that was he into astrology it's interesting or because he w had a spiritual practice but he's also very when you hear him talk he's also very how do i put this he likes to be controversial and he likes to almost be kind of fatalist about the whole thing he wasn't very religious or that 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 believing in a higher power funny enough mm -hmm. so he liked to be kind of crude or shocking or a little bit skeptical and cynical and so he was a funny mix as a person yeah. and I often wonder why and I still haven't kind of come up with the answer but I often wonder why it came through with somebody of that personality yeah but I still don't know okay two things about him do you know what his type yes is? he was a manifester okay so in that regard, it was really good that it came through him because manifestors are the people that basically come here to create movements or to start mm -hmm. things. They're the initiators of all of us and they're only 8% of the population. Yeah. So manifestors are people who are here to blaze a trail and create something new for society, um, lead us in a new direction. So it was actually perfect that he was a manifestor. Yeah. And then how old about was he and like how many years did he have living before he died of having he died in design. 2010 so okay. uh what is that 23 oh, years yeah. yeah 23 okay. years so he was really around for a long time and had kind of left this mm -hmm. legacy mm -hmm. wow yeah wow. fascinating mm -hmm. okay so then how did you discover and what were you doing you didn't end up becoming a ballerina but what <laughs> did you what did you end up doing when you grew up and then went how did you find human design so i didn't go to university i decided that I I kind of like looked at colleges I applied everywhere and then I basically decided that I didn't want to go to college so I started working in magazines like when I was 18 like right when I left school and then from there my parents were like we don't mind if you don't go to university but just don't sit on your ass and do nothing so like just stay busy and be doing things that you want to do so what ended up happening was I just went from different thing to different thing and just tried everything on for like a couple months here a couple months there and then when I was 19 turning 20 I um, interned for the woman that started Jimmy Choo wow it was a really funny story because I went in to intern for her 
So what happened was I had been for a couple of jobs and I kind of left all of them, was very uninspired by all of them. And so then one day I like went almost crying to my dad and was like, I don't know what to do next. What do I do? And he was like, why do you engineer this other way around? Instead of thinking about a company that you want to work for, a place that you want to work mm. for or a role that you want, think about a person that really inspires you. And I straight away was like, Tamara Mellon. Because she was like a woman and she was in business and she started something on her own. Like I was always really inspired yeah. by her. Is she in London? She was in London at the time. And my funny enough, my dad was like, oh, well, that's an easy one. That's an easy fix. Because my dad's uncle was very good friends with her dad. Oh my God. So he was like, well, I can get you in the door if you want to go for an internship with her. And I was like, okay. So I went for my internship interview and she was like, after our interview, she was like, great. Can you start in you know, whatever, six weeks or whatever. And I was like, oh God, you know, I just like dreading having six weeks of doing nothing. And as I'm leaving her office, she was like, she said to her assistant, she was like, can we do this, this and this? And then she turns to me and she says, oh, actually, do you want to stay and help? And I was like, yeah, of course. And I literally stayed until the end of the day. And then I came back in the next day and oh, that was that. amazing. Yeah. Wow. And then I ended up staying with her for four and a half years. Wow. Mm. What did you learn from her? What is like oh your greatest gosh. lesson from her? Do you know, even without the awareness of what we have now about what's going on with, you know, women coming more into their power and realizing that it's okay. She was always somebody who was so firm in her, in her own voice, but not in a sort of, not even in an obvious way or, a, or an on purpose type of way. It was just so given that she was confident and she was always in her skin and she was never abandoning her kind of like for want of a better word like her inner peace in order to get her way so I would always see her like doing the weekly board meetings with all of her investors and her being the only woman and she would be there in a jumpsuit and heels and so cool. she never once raised her voice she never lost her cool like it was just so inspiring to see yeah. And I kind of think that that was my university because I was totally. with her until yeah. I was 23. And she just was so kind of like steely in her vision as well. But again, so not in an obvious way. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So it was so much more about the implicit thing. And the other thing that I really admire about her is that she was one of those people who implicitly trusted you. So it made mm. you want to do such a good job. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. never like ruling by fear or yeah. ruling by control or micromanaging or anything like that. Yeah. She just was so Like you firm. would treat her business as your own. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. That's so cool. Yeah. Did she completely, was it all her, she didn't have a co-founder and she was. No. Yeah. She started it all on her really own. Cool. Yeah. Are you still in touch with her? Yeah. I just saw her last week actually oh, when I was in so LA. Cool. She's got her own brand now. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. Selling shoes online and basically taking out the middleman of that margin, the retail margin. Yeah. So it's like designer shoes, but for wholesale price. Oh. It's insane. Great. Yeah, Good I know. Her. And they have weekly new shoes. Oh. So instead yeah. of waiting for a season or whatever, it's just like weekly drops. Wow. It's so What's it called? Tomorrow Melon. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, it it's unreal. Yeah, it's great. Amazing. Yeah. Do you know her type? <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny because she said to me last week, she was like, what am I? I need to figure out what I am. And I was like, we need to get your birth time and then we'll look it up. But someone yeah. messaged me on Instagram because I think I spoke about her on another podcast and someone messaged me being like, what the human Everyone design is to know. And I was like, I don't know. Everyone I need to figure that out. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. Okay, so you're working for her mm -hmm. and and then you do, I know you do a bunch of things. You mm -hmm. end up, you go on a journey for healing your skin, mm -hmm. right? That mm -hmm. was, acne was kind of some, a big teacher of yours too, right? Literally, like, my, exactly, like a huge teacher of when mine. When did the acne start for you? I was 16. 
Me too. Exactly the same. Really? 16, yeah. Wow. And did it just hit you like come out of nowhere? Yeah, just like, like that? my skin was great. And then one summer, I think I remember like getting like one or two pimples like before that, but it was never, you know, a thing. Mm-hmm. And then the summer before I was going into my sophomore year, I, I, had, I was, I think I was like about to turn, or no, I just turned 16. I wow. got really horrible terrible acne wow yeah i think it just happens like your hormones just go boop and that's you know yeah. a whole different thing and it, and it kind of it kind of healed for that year i went to the dermatologist and i didn't do accutane but i did like a bunch of different things and then a couple of years later it came back again when i was like 20 oh thank you so much um we're giving each other water <laughs> but yeah anyway it it's it's a very, very challenging, challenging thing because it's how the world sees you. It's mm-hmm. also very painful, like physically painful mm-hmm. and difficult to cover up. You're kind of always thinking about yeah. it. It's it's so it's so challenging. So how did it affect you and what was kind of just your, my self-confidence? Like yeah. I I just didn't feel it's not that I didn't feel worthy and I didn't feel yeah, I just felt unattractive. And then it just taught me that that isn't looks like that was the real thing of it that being a pretty young girl and then being not that attractive in my late teens just kind of made you I don't know I just didn't think I thought about it that much I just was like okay well that's this clean or everything but it was obviously like a huge bone of contention because you just feel awful and you always have to cover up and all that kind of thing but I mine lasted for a really long time like a really really long wow. time like probably five years wow. and then even to this day if I don't eat so well for a couple of days I get like huge flare-ups and things I'm, so I'm the same way yeah I kind of know what works and yeah mm-hmm. so how did that lead you to your next career which was it had to do with food and wellness right yeah so I basically studied nutrition for a year um, just on weekends while I was working with Tamara and then one day I was like wow I want to be the CEO of my own business and that's why I admire her I don't want to work for this company anymore. And coincidentally, she was moving to New York. So I thought that's a good time to leave because I'm not moving to New York. To I don't want to work for her there. So then I started my own food business. And then I did that until very recently, basically, until until human design basically wow. kind of took over my life. And when did that when did that start? How did you find human design? So you're doing the food business. I was doing the food business and I got into astrology through a Kabbalistic astrologer. Kabbalistic. Yeah, so uh, like a Kabbalah teacher who was an astrologer. And she did my chart when I was 24. And I was like very strongly atheistic, didn't believe in anything, super common sense, scientific, Mm. logical, all that stuff. Don't care about woo-woo, like the opposite. And when she did my chart, I was like, like converted overnight I was like oh my god this is incredible what was it about it um just the fact that she read me like an open book and I was like there's got to be this is why how does this work you know like what's this about and so then that just kind of launched like every spare minute that I had I was doing even probably the minutes that I didn't have to spare you know when I should have been running my food business I was like reading up about god knows what and listening to all these lectures and Mm. you know just kind of being a spiritual whore like getting you know doing whatever I could so I was never like attached to one thing yeah and then doing all of that I found a I had a session with a shaman one day that my mom that really helped my mom and she was like you have to see him he did a bunch of things on me one of them was human design and I was like oh my gosh what is this because I've never heard of this and I was like I've been doing this for like five years now and this is like a totally new to me thing and then I just started 
just started learning about it until my friend Dara, who is an intuitive, I did her chart and she said to me, you have to do this. And I was like, no, like I had no intention to be doing what I was doing, what I'm doing now. Um, she was like, no, no, trust me. You're going to close your businesses and you're going to do this. And I just didn't believe her until it came true. <laughs> was that scary to close your businesses? Um, well, I didn't. I actually was quite stubborn in the sense that I was like, no, no, I'll just do human design on this side, mm -hmm. you know? And then it just got, I just got so busy doing readings for people that it got to a place where I was like, I literally don't have a choice. Yeah. So I have to keep doing I have to kind of close it because it's not like it's not making me so happy anymore and this is bringing me so much more close to who I actually am mm. and this is so much more ease filled for me. I don't like to say easy, but ease filled yeah. because you know it's coming from my authentic place rather than actually what I was doing before which is kind of more living like a generator and not really doing it the proper way. Yeah. And I was also acting out of my conditioning which was that you have to really suffer and work super super hard to have validation even if it means you're not getting that much success like yeah. I the old me would have rather have proved to everyone that I was really trying and efforting so hard yeah rather than actually just being effortlessly good at something which I think something is a conditioning that we all are mm -hmm. affected by to some extent or another you found your niche which is so cool so you, when you were into the Kabbalah astrology, was there overlap with what she told you to what in human design? Because I think we kind of passed this over, but he, the founder, what are all the different modalities that mm. go into human design? So it incorporates conventional astrology, the Kabbalistic tree of life, which is basically a 10 point illustration of how energies are filtered down to us different realms, let's say, or energetic levels. Then the I Ching, which is the Chinese system that Confucius talked about, which have you ever read of a book called The Way? Ever heard mm -hmm. of a book called The Way? So it's basically... Um, I've heard of it, but I've never read it. It's basically, the idea is that there are 70, sorry, 64 different, I'm confusing Kabbalah, there's 72, <laughs> and I Ching is 64. There's like, there's two magic numbers. In the I Ching, there's 64 different energies that are available to us on this planet. And what's really fascinating is that this was talked about thousands of years ago and the way that it expresses itself in human design is that there are 64 codons of the DNA, which we didn't know. So it talks about literally the I Ching themes are tied to genetic expression, oh my God. which is so, so cool. fascinating. Yeah. And then also the chakra system. So it's a, it's a blend of the four, of the four wow. different, yeah, systems. So fascinating. So when the the Kabbalah astrologer and human design, was there overlap there in your... So it's funny because I think that I read the I Ching, I studied Kabbalah, I was into astrology. I had some knowledge of the chakras and I think it all obviously came together to really pave the way so that I had like a comprehensive understanding of it all and how it works separately, but then also is part of a greater whole. Yeah. It's like what you told me about projectors which we'll get to the types but we both have projectors mm -hmm. needing to study and just going to following what they're fascinated yeah. about because you never know when it'll be mm. useful and it's you're such a perfect example of that yeah and at the time I was like I had no idea I was judging it thinking like what's the point like this is so counterproductive I should be working right. I should be pushing I should be this is doing yeah. my sales blah 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 and actually I didn't realize that it was really helping me yeah 
So human design helps people to give them licensing to be themselves, mm. to get rid of the conditioning that tells them that they're not good enough and that we're not okay as we are, which is kind of stuff we pick up as, you know, like Velcro mm. from society and from the world. And I want to really get into the different energy types because that's something I think that people can cling on to mm. and you have so many different resources for that. But first, you mentioned something before easy versus ease filled. And Mm -hmm. I think human design is so important about like having people live an easeful life. Mm -hmm. And I think that distinction, I've heard you make it before between easy and ease filled Mm -hmm. is so beautiful. So can you start with that? Yeah. So the idea is that before your soul comes here, it chooses certain qualities and skills that it needs to be really good at in order to fulfill its life's purpose. And so if we were all parented correctly, your parents would basically be people who would hold up a mirror to you and say, these are things that you're really good at. So these are the things that you are going to make money from and be successful at and thrive off of and whatever, right? So when we talk about living an ease-filled life, we think about what are the things that come easy to us? And what if those were the things that we could easily make a career and a purpose and a life and a thriving, happy life at that out of? But, you know, for example, people who are great nurturers, it's unlikely that their parents tell them, you know, that's going to be the thing that makes you a bajillionaire. Do you know what I mean? Like no yeah. one gets told that. So really what, you know, part of a reading is, is looking at the things that you're inherently good at and then recognizing that those are the very things because your soul picked them on purpose. Those are the very things that are going to lead to your best life. So when I, when I like to say ease filled, I don't want to say easy because obviously there's always going to be challenges to help us grow to our next level. But I think the difference between ease filled and the way we're all trying to do it now is that we're kind of efforting so much and trying to control every tiny little minutia of the way things pan out and trying to have so many business plan and staying attached to the outcome and all that kind of stuff and I just know that it doesn't have to be that way yeah and the way that you know when people talk about success of like having I had a struggle and the mm. the kind of glorifying the struggle and glorifying mm-hmm. busy I think human design, can you speak to that? And yeah, how? that's really, you know, our history of doing that does come from a separatist mentality where it's almost like a qualifier that you earned or you deserve to get there because you worked so hard. What we need to do is realize that we all deserve to get there and not because we work so hard, but just because we're humans. We've like won the incarnation lottery by being humans, you know, and therefore we're like, I always, the me- the main message that I'm always hopping on about is that we're all innately worthy. Like it's not for us to decide whether we're worthy or not. So, you know, Bill Gates is no more worthy than you as a human being just because of what he did. Literally, it's a crazy thing to wrap your head around, but that's the part about human design that makes me want to cry. Like it's mm. just the reason why I think this resonates with me in particular so much is be, and and it's funny like I was so resistant to it because of that experience that I had that I was like eh, okay I don't I don't know I don't it was kind of heady for me and so then when coming back around to it I think the reason why I resonate with it so deeply is because I re- resonate with you selfishly I'm very happy you're a projector because <laughs> like I mean you're wonderful for reading all energy types but it just like it's kind of fun yeah. because you are yeah. the same one as me mm. but it gives me this sense of feeling like 
I wish when I was a kid, some I never felt good enough. And, mm. and honestly, till like, and I still today in mm. many ways, I it constantly have to have one side of my brain instruct the other side mm-hmm. that I'm okay. Mm. I'm I deserve to be. I was staying with friends this weekend, and I my love languages is words of affirmation. Aww. I constantly need like is it okay that I'm here? And say, I say, I'm sorry mm-hmm. too much, like mm-hmm. constantly not feeling good enough essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's what human design has given me of like, it's okay that I'm like this. It's okay yeah. that I learn things slowly. Mm-hmm. It's okay that I can only work for a few hours and I zone mm-hmm. out. It's okay. You know, I had all these other labels of, yeah. you know, ADD or anxious Ugh. or all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I just, so what I heard you say before, and I'd love if you could talk about this is how the founder also said that this is for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so parenting in this way of yeah. like helping the next generation. If I had been parented to say, I never knew what I was good at. I just assumed I was terrible at everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's still like something I'm le- I'm like, well, I can't, I'm not really a podcaster. I'm not that good. Like I should, you know, always wow. like, yeah. That's so crazy. It's really interesting. And that's, I think, so the biggest, most foundational thing you can do to help yourself grow is it's nothing to do with what you're actually trying to plan to do differently or anything like that. It's much more that you are able to notice the things that you are and then to figure out whether these things are really yours or whether they're conditioned. And in both cases, to have compassion for that. One, to be like, well, there's a reason why you chose to be like this and this must have some gold in it for you. Or if it's conditioned, you know, put your hand on your heart and you tell your younger self from your higher self, like, it's okay. Like, it's normal. Like, we're all like this. This is part of what you have to overcome. This is why your soul is here. Like, there's no... I think one of the biggest things that Kabbalah told me, there's no... They don't believe in coincidences. So they really say that everything is for a reason. You can't just kind of selectively pick, you know? So, but then you, it gives you a new reverence when you see nothing as a coincidence because you go, I chose my parents. I chose my scenario to bring out of me the medicine that I'm then here to give to myself, but then also to share with the world. So who cares about, you know, okay, so-and-so said this to me or the world told me this. You chose for those to be your experiences. So it's a much more empowered place to see it from. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So do you work with parents a lot on how to... I love doing yeah. parents. It's my favorite thing to do because I, I just feel like I have so much admiration for parents who are that interested in really seeing their kids for who they are. And that's just kind of who I hope to be one day. So it's kind of for me like an honor to yeah. you know, be part of what it is that they're doing for their kids. I think it's incredible. Yeah. And interesting that that's what I was saying before that how the founder said this is actually for the next generation. He made it for the next generation. Yeah. Well, he said like, you know, all of us, it's really helpful that we have this tool so we can decondition from, you know, 30 years of, of conditioning that we've been exposed to. But imagine how far in life you can go if you never have to decondition yourself. And that's just like, it blows my mind to yeah. think of how quick the next generation will ascend. And not just because of human design, but just because of our collective consciousness, yeah. you know? I, you can already see it in, yeah. in them. Okay, so let's get into the types for a bit. So there's five energy types. And as a human design reader, there's so, you know, so much more than just the energy types. I've heard you explain before that the energy types are kind of like your sun sign and astrology. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to astrology than just that. Mm -hmm. But maybe you could give the five energy types and one or two traits on on each of them. So let me try and put a different spin on this for if people have heard me talk about this before. But what I will say is that we have five types all the different types are supposed to use their energy in different ways. That's literally the only difference with, you know, what energy type you are, because you could actually have more in common with someone who is 
for example, your project, you could have some more and stuff in common with a manifesting generator across all the rest of your reading oh. than you would with maybe necessarily another projector. Okay. So really what it is, is that I like to think of us as all one soul that is constantly reincarnating itself until it gets itself back to remembering that it is a piece of the light, right? So what we all individually are here to do is to embody a different piece of the karma. And then the more we perfect that karma, we're all like the same piece of the, we're just each piece of a big puzzle. So in terms of the proportions of who comes back as what energy type, it's always changing because we need at different times, different amounts of different people. It's kind of like if we can fit into five roles, you know, different points in our consciousness and in our remembering, we need more of this. We need less of this. We're at a phase right now where we need more projectors, for example, projectors are on the rise. Manifestors are going down in number. So it's constantly in flux. But basically the idea is that we have the exact perfect amount of different energy types to serve us all. So you have manifestors and they're the people, like I was saying about Ra Uruhu, they're really the people that hit a blazer trail to start something new. So back in the day, they were the people that ruled countries, got to the top, started wars. All those things that really changed the world is what manifestors used to do. Do you know any like famous examples of them? J.K. Rowling, oh, cool. J.R.R. Tolkien, Maya Angelou. Cool. Those are my, they tend to be my favorites because yeah, they literally create newness. It's like insane. Very cool. Um, and so they're kind of newer manifestors where it's, energetically now manifestors are not supposed to be necessarily ruling countries but they're supposed to be starting something that's totally new to us creating a movement think about yeah. like harry potter's is like it's literally a world within this yeah. world like it's insane yeah you know so that's what manifestors are now kind of basically here to do is to create a movement never kind of strategically or on purpose just but just as an extension of who they are as people and then you have generators and generators are people who are really here to understand that they lift everyone else up because they have that juicy, sparkly, energizing, making you more productive type of energy when you're around them. And so they do so in serve by being in service of what actually excites them. So it's a win-win situation. And so those are generators and generators are all about basically making other people happy, but not in that codependent trying to figure out type of way, but just by being themselves and being the fullest extension of who they are, what they really give to us is when you're around a generator, you leave feeling better off, more pep in your step than you had when you, you know, arrived. Yeah. So that's what generators, they're the real people, people, you know, mm. that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they're extroverts and it doesn't mean that they can't also love their alone time. It just means that they are really here. What their main job is, is they make other people feel good, lifted, higher, productive, yeah. all those good things. And then you have manifesting generators who are basically like the do-it-alls. They are very fast learners and they're fast people. So it's kind of like, I think that everyone who's a manifesting generator is someone who says, okay, I don't just want to do one life's karma in this life. I want to do three life's karma in this life. So they learn and they pick up skills and lessons really quick, which is why then they have to move on to the next thing. They're often interested in so many different things, but life basically gives them a quick mastery of skills because it doesn't want them to stay doing one thing for too long because it's like okay pick it up move on to your next level move on to your next level move on to your next level all the time yeah so they can sometimes to the world see be seen as all over the place or too fast or indecisive flaky those kinds of things but really they are here to be the ultimate sort of like how do I put this the multi-hyphenates of this world 
And they get frustrated when people don't understand things as quickly as as they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, or don't understand them. They feel it's very common for manifesting generators to feel very misunderstood by the world because they really are square pegs in a round hole. But instead of trying to become round, they need to make everyone else understand that it's okay to not be round. So yeah, they're here to basically lift us and increase what we know to be possible in terms of our level of achievement and what's possible. So that's their kind of karma. Mm -hmm. And then projectors are basically people who it's not really so much about what they want to do, but it's so much more about what they see in others and what they can bring to the fore in the way that we do things as human beings. So they're, they're very good at seeing you know, how we can be more efficient or how else we should be doing things, how to optimize things, a better system, a better way, tweaking something that we're already doing, what's not working. They're very good at seeing patterns mm-hmm. and trends, yeah, those kinds of things. Projectors are basically here to guide other people's energy or other systems energy or other efficiencies. So you can have a projector that is a great investor or a great Reiki healer. It doesn't matter. Just like the same with other types but it's always to do with them lending what they see rather than them trying to do everything. They can't be manifesting generators and those kind of do it all multi-hyphenates in that same way with that same energy level. And then you have reflectors and reflectors are really, they can pretty much, I mean, there's no commonality between reflectors because it so much depends on where they grow up and who they surround themselves by. They're really the ultimate chameleons because they can be anything, but they can become anything based on where they place themselves. So you can be a very energized reflector if you put yourself in an environment that is really supportive to you. And you can be a very drained reflector if you're exposed to things that are not very in congruence with who you really are. So they're the most influenced by their external uh, surroundings Mm. of all the types. And so they can sometimes see that as a weakness, but that's actually their strength because that makes them very, very in tune and more in tune to what's going on around us than any of us can be. Um, so they're, so they're so different. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I just can't understand what it is to be one, but I'm absolutely fascinated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You gave this really great analogy that helped me to see all of this with birds for projectors, re- projectors yeah. and then like firefly or dragonflies for reflectors. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that on the podcast? Yeah. So my sister actually came up with this with me because we were trying to explain how we were going to do this for a kid's book and how we would explain the types to kids. Oh, you have to do that. Yeah. That will be so great. And so we were thinking what we would really want to do in a children's book is something that would lead to ultimate acceptance because even as a kid, when you when judgment is bred into you, you then pass the judgment on to, you know, other kids in the playground and that kind of stuff. So we were basically saying that the manifestors are the elephants because they are basically the king of the jungle, but they don't eat or get eaten. And then you have the generators that are the gazelles and they're the ones that run around and they look beautiful and they like lift everyone else up and they make everything look fun and lightly and sparkly. And and then you have the giraffes, the manifesting generators, because they're just so like zany and out there and they just kind of do their own thing and they're really independent. And basically all these land animals are trying to, you know, make things go well on the ground and they're trying to manage life in the safari. And basically what happens is that projectors are the birds. And so they're sitting up on the branches and they see what's going on down there. And sometimes they get FOMO because they wish that they could be on the ground playing and rolling around in the mud and, you know, being able to like, 
take a little swim in the lake and all those kinds of things, but they can't because they don't have the same energy as those bigger animals do. And so actually they need to stay up on their branch because all the other animals need them to stay up on that branch so that we can get their perspective and see what they see. And so when everyone embraces their right, and there's a story for each, but when every animal embraces their right place and each person can be truly happy because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing whilst also revering that everyone else is doing something else that's equally cool and fun. Yeah, so then reflectors of the dragonflies because you basically can't even really see them and they're so hard to grasp and understand, but they really show us the light when there's darkness. They show us the way forward and they show us where we're at as a society when we're lost. That is the coolest analogy. (laughs) I cannot wait for the children's book. That is so cool. I love that. So I've heard just the reflector and the projector part, but I didn't, I haven't heard the full analogy and it's so good. (laughs) Thank you. interrupting this podcast episode to tell you about another podcast I'm loving, which is Lisa Orkin's new podcast, Project Woo Woo. It's so good. It's crazy. It's like Andy Kaufman meets Oprah. Lisa has her hilarious actor and comedian friends play her favorite people, who are also my favorite people, in self-help, spirituality, plus famous writers and philosophers from generations back. You'll just love this podcast. I really do. I've been listening to it on my trip here in LA and it's been so much fun. You have to listen to her chat with Marianne Williamson and also her episode with Sigmund Freud. There's one with Dr. Wayne Dyer and even Esther Hicks and Tim Ferriss. Again, she has her actor and comedian friends play these people. She herself is a tremendous performer and actor and a writer. She's done so much voiceover work. She's from Chicago. She's just a lovely person. I've really enjoyed her through her podcast. She even interviews Eve. Yes, like fig leaf Eve from the garden. It's hilarious. It's so entertaining. And you actually learn a lot too. I've learned a lot listening to this podcast. And Lisa's just so real and wacky and vulnerable. So go to projectwoowoo.com and listen in. I know that you're going to love it. I really love it. You can grab the link in the show notes. It's projectwoowoo.com. Listen, subscribe, get obsessed with it. I really have. One of my favorite parts about how you talk about human design is you relate it to so many different things, but digestion and food Mm -hmm. has been one that has given me so much licensing and Mm -hmm. so much comfort. And I would love if you could maybe scratch the surface. Again, there's, there's so, there's so many things I want to talk to you about right Mm -hmm. now. I'm having a little bit of anxiety of like, I want to get through (laughs) all the, all the different things. And Mm -hmm. I think it might be easier if I I pull up my chart and I just want people to have an experience of this. So we can do that in a minute, but Mm -hmm. maybe let's just start with food a little bit. You have so many great offerings about, you have an offering for everyone Mm -hmm. about food Mm -hmm. for their type that Mm -hmm. is so helpful, but maybe just a couple of tips for each type or just what you think how human design can be helpful. Yeah. So uh, obviously on my website, you can find, um, you know, how each of the, how to eat for your energy type. And basically, you know, what people don't, what we don't grasp is obviously we find something like this and we find that there's a well of information and we want to get so stuck in it. But what I've seen in my experience is that 
it's all well and good knowing that you're a three five or you're a cross of this and, all and these, these are the variables. other so there's the sun sign thing that we're kind of talking mm-hmm. about which is we compare to your your type energy mm-hmm. type and then there's also these are the other things that jenna's talking yeah. about you there's numbers when you see your type you'll see all of these different things mm-hmm. that that this is what she's talking about yeah now. so all these variables and it's so it's so tempting obviously to get stuck in and figure out what each of those things are but when I was thinking about, you know, how this is actually going to help us as a society, what Ra always said was that even mastering your energy type, using your energy type correctly, that can profoundly change your life. And it takes years to do sometimes. So it's almost better to just focus on using our energy type properly, showing up in the world, exchanging energy how we're supposed to with everything than knowing all the knowledge that there is to know. So don't even worry about the numbers, at least to start. So with your energy type, it extends to everything that you, every interaction you have with the world around you. And so one of the big ones he always said was food, because food is the most concrete form of information that you can put inside your body. So aside from relationships and, you know, using your purpose in this world, Food is much more impactful on you than reading anything, learning anything, hearing anything, anything else you take in in your senses because food is a physical thing which has um, its own messaging that speaks to your DNA to either tell you to evolve or to not evolve into your higher self. So everything you're eating is either helping or hindering you. So eating for your energy type is one thing, which is eating to support who you are as a person and how you're supposed to be using your energy. And then within that, you also... um, have to learn to eat for how you're best meant to digest life so everybody has for example i remember that you i forgot actually what you were i remember we said you were a kitchens person but yeah i forget what else we said about what kind of food you're supposed to eat like projector little little bits throughout the day yeah but did we do your digestion profile i don't know no i don't I think, think so we did. i'm gonna try and pull it up but anyway within within all of that stuff smell was smell the, yeah is your strongest mm-hmm. sense and so you need to be engaging the sense of smell in the way that you choose your food so you're really the person that has and literally your sense of smell is also your strongest way that you communicate with the world so you're someone who's very good at having a nose for things. So when we talk about that expression of I smell a rat or something smells funny or this doesn't smell right, it's that kind of instinct in you that is telling you, guiding you through life and giving you information about the world around you. So yes, so you can eat for your energy type and you can eat for your optimized digestion and they're two very different things. But that's, everyone can find that now because I have that offering on my website. Oh, that's which, amazing. Yeah, so you can do your individualized chart of what suits you I want to can we give people an experience of that so they can so with me with projectors like I just want to explain like I was I have my body graph right here is this what you need yes I can use that yeah I was having lunch with our mutual friend Lacey Phillips and I ordered (laughs) spinach and tahini and a side of steamed spinach tahini and berries with cinnamon and she was like this is such a projector meal because I like (laughs) to have like little bits of things throughout the day yeah. so will it tell you other things like if you like if warm food is better for you or cold food is this what you're yeah. talking about so there exactly so there are some people um that for example need to eat hot food for their evolution into their highest self and there's some people that need to eat cold food and there's some people for whom the temperature isn't important wow i remember yours now because i have your your advanced okay, 
software in front of me and yours is basically that. And we went through this, um, is that you need to basically eat pretty much the same thing every single yes. day. Yes. Which I already did and was like, it's so when I funny. don't, I feel, yeah. Yeah. So for you, it's actually good to eat the same thing every day. That's why I didn't write that down. Cause I was like, I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting is obviously the conditioning of the world is like, you need to get a variety of fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables and actually think about that for you. It would be terrible. Yeah. And the only time that your diet really should be changing is when the seasons change. Yeah. So, you know, what's actually available to us in terms of produce, you know, that's the only time that things should yeah. change. Um, but you are somebody who should kind of try everything and see if you like it or not before deciding if it's yeah. going to be in that menu or not. And I'm down to try anything. Once. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What about heat? Like warm or Heat cold? doesn't affect you at all because you are more of that menu type. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. But all projectors, like like you were, you you said earlier, need to eat little and often. So you yeah. can see how, for example, if you needed to eat hot food, that's part of your digestion. Mm-hmm. Like the same menu every day, that's a digestion thing. But then eating for your energy type is something totally different. So you need to combine eating for energy type, which is right. one of those things is eating little and often, but there's way more to it. And then also you know, having the same menu every single day. Yeah. Whereas for me, I need to eat in indirect light, but I'm also a projector. So that means I need to not eat with like bright lights shining on me, not live with bright lights shining on me, basically live with soft lighting, very indirect lighting, because what I do is I see between the shadows, I see what's in between, what's not obvious. Wow. Whereas my dad, who's also a projector, is the opposite of me and he's direct light. He needs to see like, he needs to shine a light bright on things and call them out for what they are. Wow. You know, so it's so individualized to your purpose. Wow, what is my light? Uh, no, so you're not a light person. You're you're that same menu person. Oh. And so for you, that structure of knowing what your inputs are every single day is more important yeah. to you. And yeah. that's the way through which you see the world. So that affects the way you're not just digesting food, but digesting life. And so if your inputs in from life into you are the correct things, then it's going to support you becoming who you need to be because your perspective is being formed about the kind of life that you're living, which is different from mine. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. Another thing that was so helpful to me, and Lacey told me if I ever had a session with Jenna to ask for my ideal day, and you went through with me my ideal day of how to be the most productive and creative. And it was, Mm. you know, I need to be out in the world and for about three hours and discovering things, and then spend another three, about three hours or so working, Mm -hmm. and then another three hours, as you said, just sitting on the couch and collating. And Mm -hmm. again, it just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, yes, yeah. Like every time you say something, it just really resonates. Mm. Can you talk about why why that is and kind of how how different types, we'll, we'll speak on projectors because that's what, what mm. I am, why so that's important. It's much more, well, there are certain commonalities between energy types. So all projectors, for example, are supposed to do maximum three hours of work a day. But what's more important in terms of the ideal day, the reason why it was so easy for me to give Lacey her ideal day is because she is a consistent person. So consistency mm-hmm. works really well for her. So and now we come full circle and you're yeah. not. Gosh, so there's the all the nuances of like, mm. you mean Lacey, all three projectors, mm-hmm. but all three so Entirely different. Entirely different. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Are you a consistency person? No. So you're like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for us, you know, to say, oh, I do this every day or every day I wake up and then I have my lemon water and then I do this and then I go for a workout. It just doesn't work. Doesn't work. You know, and so that's part of what this in this sort of wellness micro world Mm -hmm. that we live in. You know, there is also conditioning in that where it's like it's good to do this every day or try this for 20 minutes or, you know, vary up your fruits and vegetables or 
there's a lot of things that don't apply to a lot of people. And that doesn't have to do with the t energy type. No. That's a different number in the yeah. Fascinating. There's yeah. so much nuance to this. And you are, it's so cool. So another projector thing is a niche and really deep diving in something and really going down the rabbit hole, which mm -hmm. is your programs. But it's so clear that this is so perfect for you because you, it's such an intricate system and you know it so well and you read it so well. It's, it's really, really cool Thank to, you. to be around. So can we talk a little bit about, you talked about there's distinct phases. Like I think I heard you talk about with me, you know, I was, I was kind of venting to you. I was like, I don't really know my niche. Mm -hmm. And, and then you said there's kind of, was it four or three, three phases of okay. your life? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So that's to do with being what we call a four, six in human design. And basically everyone who's a four, six like you, or what we would also call an opportunist role model, but I hate the word. So I try not to use them so often basically everyone who's a, an opportunist role model, their life moves in three distinct phases, very much more than everyone else's, where their Saturn return basically means even more to them than everybody else, because they have this phase up until their Saturn return, where it's all about not really knowing what they want to do and being very lost. The second phase is about really coming into their own. And at the Chiron return, and this is what's so different, is that you get to be seen as the wise woman on the hill, mm. who's really come to her place of knowing what she knows by the fact that she's tried and not succeeded and then tried and then succeeded. First phase, being confused. Second phase, mastery. Third phase, actually other people needing to see you as a role model. So for example, there are other people who, listen, we all master life, right? But it's just to do with the timing of the way, the fact that you as a soul need people to see you as a role model eventually, because that's going to be how they're going to invite you as a projector to share your gifts. Wow. Yeah. So what? when are these phases? So what they say is that the first phase is is up until the Saturn return. So that's up until 28 to 30. Mm -hmm. Then the second phase starts around your Chiron return, which is around the age of 50. Okay. Now, I just want to also be super clear to say that it doesn't mean that you aren't going to get anywhere until then. It just means that at 50, people see that you've been mastering something long enough where they go, wow, she's really like role model status. You know yeah. what I mean? Which is probably like how people see Oprah when she reached 50. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Something yeah. she wasn't doing good what stuff is Oprah? before. I think she's a 4'6". She's a generator. Okay. But she's a 4'6". I'm pretty sure she's a 4'6". So Fascinating. Yeah. So people really, you just kind of like, you pop out. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's all all people that are a four six, no matter what energy type they are. So a huge projector thing is waiting for an invitation. And that obviously affects relationships quite a bit. But can we talk about, and I know it's hard to do this in, in broad strokes, so we can use me as an example and you as an example, but let's talk about human design and relationships. Like I said, I'm a projector dating a manifesting generator and you know, even projectors in or just people in relationship to their parents or people they work with, how can we use this technology, especially like for me being a projector, I want to share it with everyone, but I have yeah. to wait for the invitation. Mm -hmm. We talked about this at yeah. length during my session. Yeah. But I feel the most important thing, the most life-changing thing that it gives you is the day that I did my mom's chart, any resentment or any feeling let down or shortchanged or anything 
that I did in my childhood from her basically all went away Mm. because it helped me understand why she does what she does. Whereas actually, if I'm assuming that my mom is like me, then everything she does that I wouldn't do, I go, there's something wrong with that. And I judge her by my own standard of doing things rather than accepting that she literally lives in a totally different reality than I do. And there's a reason why she reacts to certain things. And there's a reason why she does things differently. And that's good for her. And so... I think the most incredible thing that human design enables you to do is to really see the other for who they are. And when you see the other, you allow yourself to fully become someone who is on their team, their cheerleader, wanting them to succeed, wanting them to be happy. Because up until that point, you can be anthropocentric where you're assuming everyone works the same way as you do. Yeah. So when you see someone's chart and you fully understand that they're not you, then you're breaking that control of... You know, we have, as a society, we work on this basis of if you and I have stuff in common, then we get along. Mm. You know, if I say I like peaches and you say I like peaches too, then automatically I think that that means that we have more grounds to be friends on. But what I'm really, you know, finding with this work is like the real challenge is to meet someone that says, I prefer pineapples. I'm being glib here, but, you Mm -hmm. know, and to really still be able to bond with them because you see their spirit, you see their heart. So really as much as people can learn about themselves. Someone, who was it that I did a reading for the other day and they said, oh yes, one of a, a really old girlfriend of mine that just moved to New York, moved to New York a long time ago and I hadn't seen her for a really long time, but now she has kids and a husband and everything. We're sitting at lunch and she's like, can you please do my husband and do my two kids? She's like, I don't know what I am yet, but I actually am more interested because the older you get, you understand that it isn't so much about knowing yourself. It's about how do I show up for the way that everyone in my life needs me to show up and how Mm. can I see them differently? So we did a husband, we did her kids. And um, that really struck me what she said, you know, I think so much of, especially in our twenties, it's so much about finding out who we are, but what if, who cares, you know, what if it's just about how we can best be the best daughter to my mom and the best sister to my sister and, you know, the best boss to my assistant. And that's so interesting. That's what you said to me. Cause you were like, I'll, you should actually start to research instead of trying to talk to your boyfriend about this, you mm. should just look up what he is for you and mm. then you can know and he doesn't he doesn't need to know and like you should just learn more about manifesting generators or yeah. your mom or whatever it is. Yeah. And that speaks to me so much. She's, yeah. She's so wise to say that. I, I was, it was like, it blew me away. I was like, wow, yeah, yeah you're so right. Like, yeah. how cool. I was like, definitely not that selfless. I was like, all just wanted to totally. know about myself me for too. the first time I was learning about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, it's, I could talk about this forever. I'm going to ask you the questions that I ask everyone and yeah. kind of some quick fire questions. Oh, one more human design thing. So with the energy, so is it reflectors and projectors don't create their own energy? Yeah. And all the other types do. So we feed off of them. So we're called non-energy types, okay. which means that when we're doing something that we love, it actually still makes us tired. Mm-hmm. The difference between us and the energy types, which is manifestors, generators, and manifesting generators, is that when they do something they love, they could do it all day. It's a little bit different from manifestors because they still have very stop and start energy, which means they can't just go and go at a level kind of pace. They are very like full on and then they kind of need to crash out and then they're full on and they need to crash Mm -hmm. out. But they're still creating energy when they're creating. We don't create energy when we create. Got it. So that's the main difference. That makes sense. So I love doing this and I, like I said, could talk about this all day, but I'll be sleepy after this because it Mm. takes energy and you Uh probably will be too. Yeah. Or two projectors. Yeah. 
but if we had two like manifesting generators, they may be energized from this after. Yeah, exactly. Like if my mom was, my mom was a generator and if she was like doing something she's really good at, like arranging flowers or organizing people or telling people what to do with their kids, she could just never get tired. But if she's sitting kind of doing nothing, then she feels really, really tired. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Is that something we need to be mindful of in relationships, speaking to what we were speaking to before of taking people's energy? Yeah, absolutely. Because anytime someone else is in your aura, you know, you become a composite of those two auras. So you, you feel more like that person, you feel their energy, you're affected by whatever energy type they are. So definitely if, you are a projector, a manifester, or a reflector. You ideally would want to not sleep in the same bed every single night, day in, day out with your other half. Because when you're taking in generator energy in the course of the night, that's also not allowing you to fully rest and replenish. So I don't know if it's once or twice a week or a week a month or just every so often, you want to make sure that you are sleeping alone to really fully be out of someone else's aura when you're trying to do some R and R. Yeah. And also in terms of our energy, in terms of doing things, you know, as long as we understand that if I'm a well, my other half is a projector too, so that kind of works okay. But it's never good or bad. It's just it's all beautiful. But if, for example, I was with a manifester who's let's say, for example, when I'm with my sister, she's a manifester. She can be very, very full on and big energy, right? And so she respects that you know, I can't always keep up, but that's not a rejection of who she is. Mm -hmm. And when I can, then I'll just ride her wave and go with whatever fun spontaneity that she creates. And I'll feel more energized because of it. And at the times when I can't, then I can't. And she doesn't take that personally anymore, whereas she used to. Yeah. And then I used to think that there was something wrong with her or is there something wrong with me if both of us don't agree? And back to that old thing about the peaches. Yeah. Now, would they potentially feel us riding on their energy is that something that that would catch up with them let's say you know my boyfriend a manifesting generator mm-hmm. would he feel that i'm taking his energy or well you can only take people's energy if they allow you to take okay. their energy so you can be riding off of the byproduct of what they're effortlessly creating but they wouldn't notice that whereas if he's kind of leaky with his boundaries then maybe okay So there's a lot of people that ask me, actually a lot of parents that say, my projector kids drain me. And actually the the main thing that needs to happen is that you need to maybe not give to them as much or not give them what you don't already have. If you yourself are not, let's say you're a generator mom or a manifesting generator mom, if you're overgiving to them from a tank that doesn't have anything in it, then yeah, they can definitely take energy that you don't have to give in the first place. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So how do you create those boundaries? Mm. Well, Especially with children, understanding that children chose you is a big thing because then there's no concept of needing to be a different human than who you already are just because kids come along. If you're a projector mom, for example, and you can't micromanage everything that your kids do because you don't have the energy, then your parents chose you for that. I mean, sorry, your kids chose you because you're that kind of mom. So be the projector mom. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And, you know, love them from afar and let them kind of play in the same room as you and let them come to you for guidance and for, you know, advice and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously hugs and kisses and all that stuff. But definitely you're not the mom that can get in the pool with them and swim all day and then, you know, do the next activity and then cook for them. That just doesn't work. Yeah. So it's just about knowing yourself more and understanding that you don't have to change that for kids. 
And there's a lot of obviously conditioning around parenting books about what's correct and the best mom and what's the best kind of parent and how you show up for your kids and all that stuff. And again, when you look at it through this lens of human design, you see that it's just so different. We cannot be all the same. Yeah. Yeah. I love it so much. Okay. These are just kind of say the first thing that comes to your mind. Some are short, some are longer. <laughs> what's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Ooh. Oh, you know, yesterday I went to this place called Sushi of Gari and I had a squash roll. Yum. It was like, yeah, it was like a sushi roll, but it had cooked squash in the middle of it and it Delicious. was divine. Oh and it had a bit of ume in it, which is that fermented like Japanese plum. Oh yeah, I love oh, that. So it's yum. a great, all those umami type of taste. Oh yeah, I might get that like after this. Delicious. What have you been thinking about or pondering or realizing recently, like in the last day or since you've been in New York, what's been on your mind? It's a very obvious one. It's a very projector one, which is, well, it's actually a very also because I have an open mind center. That means that my second energy center from the top is white. And I've just seen another layer of, you know, when I get pulled into debates and conversations about me expressing my opinion, that's incorrect for me because my life isn't about the way that I see things and my take on things. It's much more about me being open to channel what comes through me. And the idea goes that every time I do commit to having a political debate or trying to express my take on how this person did something or what color is the right color or whatever it is, that's actually me draining my energy and me living in what we call the not self, not being my real self. And, you know, it's just, it's the trick of self-growth, right? You think you're like, you've completed that challenge and then it comes to you in a whole other layer. So it's been a really interesting journey because the world tells you that you have to always have an opinion. And I guess I'm just in like layer two of really detaching from the fact that it's not about my opinion and I'm not here to share my opinion. And that doesn't make me any less worthy or smart or anything like that. It just means that I'm not living who I really am, you know? I relate to that so much. I feel like every time I try to get into a debate, all the facts leave my mind. And I don't remember, even if I did know something, I, I... can't Mm. yeah I don't feel good (laughs) how fascinating yeah yeah is that a projector thing or is that something that's no that's specific to your so for Mm -hmm. example I'll give you a different um example so Lacey Mm -hmm. it's correct for her to express her opinions and to have to be sharing the lens through which she sees the world because manifestation is something that she has a unique take on right and so for her it's absolutely correct Mm. for her to be sharing her take on life do you see? Yeah. Will you look what it is for me now? I'm curious. So for you, it's for you, it's funny because um you have an inner knowing that is makes your mind uh colored in. That's a thing that things just make sense. I think we spoke about mm-hmm. things just make sense to you when you don't yeah. sometimes understand how they make sense, but you're not supposed to be expressing it. Got it. It's for you and for you only. That that makes one hundred percent sense. Your inner knowing cannot be explained and should not be explained away. Um, because it doesn't make common sense yes. to people. You just know yes. what you know without knowing how you know what you know. That completely um, makes sense Whereas to me. in comparison, Lacey, who also has that filled in mind, has it expressed through what we call the Genius Freak Channel and it needs to be shared with the world that's communicated to the world in her chart. So once again, we're all different. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh, thank you. That That is so <laughs> cool. Okay, what has been the greatest thing that human design has given you personally? acceptance and understanding of myself, but more importantly, of everybody else. Mm. What is something that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyway? How are you challenging yourself? My big thing is romantic relationships. And I'm with somebody wonderful now. 
And still my sort of fear brain goes, this is going to sound really strange, but I would almost rather it something bad happens so that it has to end rather than me stay and be present and continue to show up and be uncomfortable and do the work. I would rather have like a legitimate reason my ego would or my fear voice would actually rather have a reason to just be like, oh, well, I can't, I like I'm done. You know, I guess that's also quite an Aquarius thing, right? Like love humanity, but hate people. And that's also the, the gift of human design. It's given me like a real love of people. It's helped me get through the, the negative side of Aquarius. But yeah, the relationship thing I find really a challenge. What's your greatest lesson on romantic relationships? My greatest lesson on romantic relationships is everything that you think that that person is doing wrong, double check that you yourself are not in some hidden way also doing it. That's good. That like went right in. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. They're mirrors, right? Yeah. How did you meet your projector? So I was fresh off a breakup from my previous boyfriend three weeks after that ended. And he is one of my brother's best friends and he came on a family holiday and that's how we met. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Was he aware of human design before you? What does, Not he, at what all. does he think of it? And Not he... at all. He's just, I think so, even though we do such different things, he's an art dealer. He really sees me and I really see him and we're not trying to sort of change each other. He still calls me crazy. You know, he still sometimes will say to me when I write, well, he, he's like, don't write an essay on Instagram. Just write having a fun time in LA. And I'm like, sure, sure. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, you don't know how this works. But, you know, it's kind of more like we've learned to not sort of interfere, even though we're, this is the thing. Projectors think they know best all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to give him advice. He was always trying to give me his. And we're in a much better place now that we realize that, you know, if I want his advice, because I know he has good advice, then I'll ask him. But obviously, if he's not invited, then he can't say anything and vice versa. Yeah. So we're actually both, we're both happier and doing better in our careers now that we're not trying to sort everyone else out. <laughs> cool. That makes so much sense. Greatest lesson on family. You know, I think when you're in a self-growth mindset, the first reaction is I can't be around my family or I have to be away from my family. And I think that's a necessary step because you have to kind of refine yourself and also call out the things that, you know, the triggers that they created in you that were not so positive so that you can heal them. But what I found, which is so magical, is that once you work on the triggers, I love being around my family now. I just, I literally feel so lucky to have a family where everyone just wants to have fun. And I used to think, oh, I can't be around people. And I isolated myself a lot from them. And now I just understand that it, it's not them. It's my trigger, my triggered nature. And when I remove the triggered nature, then they can show up as who they actually are. And life is so much sweeter when it has the people in it rather than being on your own. And I used to just love being on my own all the time. And now I hate it. And that's been such a radical change. I never even identified with wanting to be around people until really recently. That's really inspiring. And I relate to that too. That's really cool. Greatest lesson on mindfulness, self-care, taking care of yourself. I think self-care for me is 
understanding that my higher self has got the back of my inner self in whatever situation I get myself into. I used to think it was so much more about controlling my environment and making sure that I was always in a calm place or never around this or, you know, do this every day or blah, blah, blah. And actually now I'm so much more relaxed knowing that I can be in a city that used to make me, like New York, I used to just not come because it would make me just feel so stressed and so crazy. And actually I can just chill the F out and say, I've got you and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of myself. You know, my higher self is going to take care of my inner self wherever I am. So who cares if my flight's delayed and who cares if I don't have access to whatever the usual things that I have access to. And it's so much better to be in that kind of like relaxed state. I mean, I still have a really long way to go just as a disclaimer, but I'm just kind of in like round one of undoing it and it's already feeling so much better. So cool. I feel like I'm kind of that like releasing control aspect. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. What about greatest lesson on creativity, entrepreneurship? I used to be so fixated on finding my creativity or becoming entrepreneurial, learning that in my human design, I'm not a strategic person, then released all of that for me because I was trying to be so strategic about it all before. And now when I realize that I don't have to, and it's actually better for me to not be, then it actually comes much quicker than if I was trying to micromanage everything which again isn't everybody but I love that yeah I usually ask people on the podcast about morning routines like the first few things they do when they wake mm. up and, and then evening routines the last few things they do before they go to bed it's probably different every day for you but mm. are there any staples or things that you do every morning or every evening um no <laughs> I love that I literally the only thing I do is I make my dandy blend which is my coffee replacement in the morning just because I like to like heat my system up being a projector yeah. we run cold I like to just heat my system up in the morning to kind of get it going but that's literally the only thing I do I love that greatest lesson on God spirituality what do you think happens when we die I believe that the soul is God and so we're just here to remember that we are that and that we are divine and that our whole life's work is to come back to that remembering. So at the end of our life, if we finished our incarnation, I believe we just go back and become a piece of the light again. And if we want to come back, we come back. What is your, we always talk about body image on the podcast. And I usually frame the question this way. If you're having a bad body image day, you're not feeling good about yourself. What are ways that you shift out of that? How do you remind yourself that that you're enough? Mm -hmm. You know, what's kind of weird is that now, because human design also taught me not to take negative emotions as negative, all the highs and lows of my emotional wave are equally informing to me. And so when I'm in a low, I kind of like get really knee deep in the low and I go, oh, okay, I'm going to put sweats on. I'm going to cover myself with a cap. I'm going to be really moody and moonlight and that's the day that I'll go for an actual decaf coffee and I'll just like play like melancholy music and I just kind of really get into Lean it. In. Yeah, because there's nothing wrong with feeling low. It's I think the only problem is that when we feel low, we attach that to being less worthy and I try not to do that anymore. So then the actual experience of being in a low is actually kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. And then yeah. you come back up eventually. Yeah. Oh my gosh, of course. That's so cool. Favorite part of your life right now? just falling in love with my family again. Mm, that's really special. Yeah, it's just been so amazing. I never thought it would happen. I've heard you talk too about friendships and you have some really great friends in your life. Mm. What's your greatest lesson on friendships or female friendships or having that aspect oh. as an adult? You know, I think I'm 
quite bad at, or I was quite bad at communicating. I'm not quite, I'm kind of afraid of confrontation. So it took me a long time to try to communicate in a way that was also not, you know, because I was so afraid of being affrontive, but then trying to find a voice that was honest that was because it's funny because I saw in all my female friendships like they don't tell me enough they don't share they don't let me in and then obviously that was basically the fact that I would tell them all the good stuff but I wouldn't tell them sometimes like I was upset by this or because I was I would always be like I don't want to put that on them or maybe that's not their fault or if they upset me oh that will pass or whatever and that's very that only allows the surface friendship to happen so ever since I started just saying oh just correct me if I'm wrong. I think I took this, maybe took this the total different way, but blah, blah, blah. Or I would really appreciate if blah, 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 if it's okay that I can tell you, you know, because we're such good friends, yeah. you know, never having to say it in a super, you know, crazy, harsh way. It actually helps you bond more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Vulnerability. Yeah. But then yeah. also just understanding why that person, you know, didn't do yeah. something how this happened is one of my best friends she was going through she decided to go th to divorce her husband and um I had my phone off for two weeks over Christmas and she when I got back she was like why didn't you just pick up the phone and why mm -hmm. can you just have sent me one message and why were you so stubborn to have your phone off the whole time if you knew I was going through a divorce and I just hadn't even thought about it didn't even cross my mind but the fact that she said to me I would really appreciate this in you was like oh hold on a second it's healthy to speak up for your needs. And okay, the sad thing is, the truth is your needs are not always going to be met, but you still have to speak up for them. Yeah. And so now I'm much more free about speaking up for my needs with my girlfriends where I used to think, no, no, the only people that need to have my needs all the time is my other half. Right. And that's just not true. Yeah. Everyone is entitled to have needs. And yeah. the sad reality is sometimes I'll get met and sometimes they won't. And that's fine. Yeah. They're definitely not going to get mad if you don't say them. So yeah. you have to say them and that can be scary. And I, and now it's good to say them because that's me reaffirming to myself that I have my own back and yeah. that I have self-worth. So it's yeah. not about the reaction. It's just about, yeah, I got to speak up for my needs. Of course. Free podcast, people. That was such a gem. <laughs> I, I'm learning so much. Okay. One last thing before the last question. So two more questions. I wrote this book about journaling. Is writing or processing things through writing something that you do or that you've ever done or has that been helpful to you? I, you know, I kept a diary for like all of my childhood. Really? Yeah. And then I lost my favorite diary. I know, so crazy. I now do it. It's funny because I know I should do it more because it feeds me so much. And the main thing that takes away from it is this phone. And so I'm trying, it's kind of an ongoing process where I'm trying to create more space to just write and kind of, I'm making it lighter for myself by saying, just write, just dot down something on a piece of paper yeah. instead of having to make it this big like journaling thing because then for my sure. mind will sabotage me. So I think more space away from my phone coupled with a couple more doodles is like helping me get back to that space. Cause I know it's just like such a David Wolf. Do you know who David Wolf is? I don't know why it sounds familiar. I don't know. He always says like reading and oh, writing. Oh, like David Avocado. Will. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's always like the reason why reading and writing is so important for everyone in this world is because you're literally, that's like your spells, mm. you know? Cool. And that changed, that like really like made me kind of like want to get back into it so yeah. much because I know that there's value to that. Like the written word is like so powerful. Well, that's what I like about it is that 
it forces me to do one thing in a world where I'm constantly multitasking. This too, you know, when we're both off our phones, yeah. we're both together. Like I can't really be thinking Anywhere about else. other things. And yeah. the same with, with writing. It's you're forced to, it slows my thoughts down, especially if I'm writing by hand mm. because I think very quickly. So mm. it forces me to be present. And That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like what we all want. Yeah. Well, you have a whole book of them now. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to, thank you. Casey gave me her book, so I'm going to have to <laughs> exactly read I it. I was journaling on the plane because it's it's like my favorite place to do morning pages and not be on the Wi-Fi. And just, mm-hmm. just I'm sit. scared of what's going to happen when Wi-Fi is like really good on planes because it's right now the only respite that we have that's like kind of forced. I know. And sometimes I choose to buy it and I'm like, well, I'm working because I, mm-hmm. I got it. And other times I'm like, well, I'm not going to do the Wi-Fi. I'm going to be mm-hmm. present. And I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's a It's a nice... Yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure it'll be really great really soon. Okay, so this is a really just a way to recommend things. So I frame it this way. You're trapped on a deserted island and you can bring with you one book, one piece of music, one podcast, one movie, one TV show, one food, maybe one person. Wow. What do you want to bring? You can even recommend skincare, like your favorite outfit or whatever. Oh my gosh. Um, What would I bring? These can be current faves or like Mm -hmm. all time. I would bring tea, hot tea because that's what I do all day long. Do you have a favorite kind of tea right now? I like it all. I'm into all of it. I do chamomile a lot because that's very calming. And again, like in this world, like everybody just needs more of that. And then peppermint for digestion. And then Dara, my friend who's the intuitive, has really got me into infusions. So like infusing oat straw again for calm because it's really good for the nervous system. Um, I have adrenal issues, so that really helps me too. I'm just going to have to try and figure out how to do it myself now. Have you been to Flower Power downtown in my no. neighborhood? But next time you're here, we'll have to go. Oh my gosh, and I would love yeah, to. Yeah, it's like the most magical place. Everyone kind of looks like Stevie Nicks who works there. Oh, and it's wow. like, it's magical. I'll, we'll go together. Yeah, I've been making that. infusions. It's so fun. You have? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, Which Lacey have you got done? me into it. I've been doing, sometimes I'll put goji berries, oat straw, wow. nettles, because like makes your hair grow. A lot of ones that have helped my skin a lot. No way. Alfalfa, also oat straw, raspberry leaf wow. is really good for female, female stuff. Stuff. Mm. It's just so fun. It's like witchy and it's it's nice to like mm. get your hands dirty mm-hmm. and like do it. And I love the ritual of going to flower power. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so nice. And then books. I really like, you know, that book Heart Talk by my uh, Cleo Wade. You know who she is? I love that. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram. I love She's her. She's a great stuff. friend of mine. And oh, I love cool. her book. Her poetry book is just, because again, like, you know, the main issue that people have with books is like, who has your time and who has the attention yeah. span? And this is just like all little digestible, easy nuggets. Yes. So it's like a really easy one to just kind of keep on your nightstand and, yes. you know, delve into when you need some kind of a lift in your life. I love that book. Music I'm always listening to, but I like old stuff. Like I like Earth, Wind and Fire and Sister Sledge and all the old, like beautiful kind of disco type of vibe. I love all that stuff. TV show, movie? I'm terrible with movies and TV shows. (laughs) Like I'm terrible. Like I can't get through a full movie. And neither can my other half. So we'll we'll do like, it will take us two hours to get through 20 minutes because we pause, we go to the loo, we make tea, we chat, then we turn it back on, That's then we so have a phone funny. break. It's terrible. I'm not the person to ask about either That's of those so things. Funny. Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, I do. Which ones do I really like? Well, I mean, I kind of don't want to mention all the obvious ones that most people would have listened to. But I really do like, I really like the Goop one. I just started listening to yeah, it. Too. Yeah. I find it very like mature conversation. 
Yeah. And I, really like to the point and I interesting. loved her conversation with SJP. Yeah. And, yeah. They said had some good relationship tips in that one too. The, I think I just, yeah, I really like everything that they put out. I think it's awesome. But then, you know, there's so many other great ones that I I listen to so many. Yeah. You must too, right? Yeah, like I do. I it's just so, so much fun to listen to. There's people. always more coming, which, yeah. is, which is great. I've been doing this since 2013 and there was like, it was so much less saturated. Now everybody oh gosh, has She was so ahead of your curve. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Crazy. You, you must have seen it coming. Like, I guess. Project I away. just really like, I just really liked this medium so much. Wow. And yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Well, this podcast is called Let It Out. So did I ring you dry for everything? Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked? Anything that you're still curious about um, and you're pondering? I think... You know, it's so funny, again, because I don't have that filled in brain, like I can never think about, which is why it helps me so much to do sessions with people or to have someone ask me questions is that's when it pulls it out of me. You'll leave and I'll like not know anything, literally, like my mind will just return to a complete blank. So, <laughs> so, you know, it is my position of power for me to say, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know anything, that's you know? so cool. Um, so, which is kind of nice. Is there anything that you never get to talk about that you wish that you would get to talk about that's like part of you that maybe not a lot of people know or something silly? I kind of do everything in, like, I do everything backwards. That's another, that's a really strange what thing. What do you mean by that? Like, I read magazines. Like, if I'm flipping through a magazine, I'll flip through it backwards. Or I'll sleep with it. Usually, I have my, my robe, my dressing gown on the right way around. But usually, I have it on, like, like backwards. Like a snuggie? Yeah. Like, the, the arms will go through the back. That's um, I would wear, like, always, I would never wear matching shoes. Never wear matching that. socks. I'm trying to, like, normalize myself now, but... Um, <laughs> I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. Now I'm kind of just, you know, in that middle, in the recovery phase of <laughs> not trying to do everything. I think my young self started doing all of that to be contrarian on some subconscious level. And now I'm kind of just like, keep all the things that actually make sense to you and, and stop doing it just for the sake of loving like the weird stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, okay. This has been a delight. I think you're so wonderful. We always end with a deep breath. So um, we take an inhale and then everyone listening can can do it, do it with us and oh we let gosh. it out. So I love that. Inhale. Let it out. <sighs> Feels good, right? Oh my God. I haven't done that for so long. <laughs> Feels good in that way. It's one thing from yoga I kept. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. This is a delight. And I'm so excited for everyone to check out human design and get so down the rabbit hole. Where are all the play? I'll have everything linked, but what are some new, I know you have some new things now that yeah. people can find. It's all literally all on my website, jennazoe.com. Cool. And we're also launching a membership thing too, cool. where people will just be able to ask any questions live every week for an hour. Yeah. So that'll be really fun. So cool. Thank yeah. you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you. All right, that was my episode with Jenna Zoe. If you're anything like me, now you're going to definitely go down the rabbit hole, but check out everything she does in the world. I like following her on Instagram. She gives out so much wisdom for free there, and she's just a really cool person. I really enjoy her a lot. Let's get to likes and learns, shall we? 
I'm coming to you from my bed in Highland Park. I'm in LA for the week. But last weekend, I this brings me to my like of the week. I went to Palm Springs for the Wanderlust Wellspring Festival, which was so much fun. I had a great time. I saw a lot of previous podcast guests like Rachel Mansfield and Dr. Robin Burzen. They were both there. We were all in the class by Taryn Toomey together, which was pretty fun. My friend Amanda Chase came with me. And then we skipped town. We left Palm Springs, although we had a great time there. We went to this place called the Parker Hotel, which is something I like. If you're ever in Palm Springs, definitely check it out. Even if you just have a, we didn't stay there, but we had dinner there at their restaurant Normos, which was really fun. And go check out their lobby. It's just very, reminds me of Mad Men Palm Springs era. It's really classic and cool. And we had such a great time there. But then we left town, we left Palm Springs and we went up to Joshua Tree, which is somewhere that I've always wanted to go. I got to see the actual Joshua Trees. It made me feel a lot like I was in Ingrid Goes West without the really dark, weird parts of Ingrid Goes West. The creepy social media stalker parts, but just checking out Joshua Tree. We went to a bunch of really cool vintage shops and my favorite place that we went to, which this part is kind of silly because it actually is in a scene in the movie Ingrid Goes West. If you haven't seen that movie, you won't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, we went to this place called The Station and in there is also a shop called Wonder Valley. And it's this husband and wife team Allison and Jay, they make this olive oil and it's so great. Amanda told me about it and we went there and it was just such a cool shop. And they also have a hotel in Santa Fe that Amanda's going to for her 30th birthday. And I want to go to Santa Fe now and check out this hotel that they have. They they were so sweet. They gave us recommendations for what to do in Santa Fe for Amanda's birthday. And I'm probably going to have Allison on the podcast because it's just really cool. She makes her own olive oil and I just really enjoyed it there. So if you're ever in Joshua Tree, definitely check out Wonder Valley. I'll put the link in the show notes. And I was just on their website this morning and there's this olive oil cake that Lori Stern makes. And Lori Stern is someone I follow on Instagram because she's a chef and a baker. She makes these really cool, beautiful cookies with flowers. And then maybe you follow her on Instagram also, but I just think she's really cool. So Lori Stern is her name. I'll put the link to her in the show notes as well. But anyway, those are my likes for the week. And my learn for the week, okay, this is something I might have to report back on once I'm back in New York, but my good friend, Carolina, who you've heard me talk about before, she makes this wonderful chocolate called Freaky Health Chocolate that I'm obsessed with, not just because my best friend makes it, but because it's really wonderful chocolate that's sweetened with mulberries and has adaptogens in it. But anyway, she told me this thing because... We joke that I'm her third child. She has two sons and is a fantastic mom, but I eat like a health-conscious mom's child. (laughs) I really like crunchy things and weird seaweed snacks and cut up apples and lots of dips and sauces. And I just eat in this kind of like 
silly. Well, actually, now that you heard this episode with Jenna, it's very projector-esque of me, I guess. Eating little small meals. I love snacks. I love like a charcuterie board, even though I don't really, I don't eat meat, but I love like, you know, dips and spreads and I don't know. It's my favorite. I I like small plates. I like sharing things and trying lots of different things. And so Carolina said she heard this somewhere and I don't remember where she heard it, but it's really important to get all different textures in a meal for some people. And I'm one of these people and I'm going to report back on where she got this, but I'm a person who needs crunchy, smooth, pudding-y is the only way I can describe. Like I love a yogurt. I love crunchy things. I love jicama. Anyway, I don't know where she got this from, but it's something I learned about myself. And maybe you're like this. Maybe you're not like this. I would love to know. Let's talk about it in the listener Facebook group. Join the secret listener Facebook group if you haven't already. The link's in the show notes. But anyway, I'm going to find out from Carolina where she got this and where it came from. She mentioned it to me in passing. I remember we were in an elevator, but I don't remember why, which is maybe a reason why I shouldn't have made it my learn this week. I probably should have waited till I got more information, but I'll leave a cliffhanger and I'll come back next week and I will let you know. I will talk to Carolina. For now, I'll just leave you with that. Let me know what you're thinking of this new segment, Likes and Learns, LNL. And let me know what you're liking and learning as well. The emoji for this episode, I'm so excited to tell you about this, you guys. I've discovered a new emoji. It's in the like office section above the yellow ribbon and below the medals, like the medals that go over your, like around your neck, like a gold medal from the Olympics. And it kind of looks like a flower. It has really fall colors. It's maybe like a medallion or something. It's next to like the circus guy to the left of the circus guy. I don't even know how to describe it other than that. It's beautiful and it's definitely underused. I've never used it before or seen it used, honestly. I was just scrolling through my emojis to find something that we haven't used before here or something relevant, but I found this and I was like, well, let's just use this because it's obviously underused. So hopefully you can find it. I'll put it in the show notes so you can actually see it. And if you have any questions about the emoji, it's very important. So please let me know. I'll also put it in my most recent to the day this is coming out Instagram post. So you can go and see it there and let me know what you think of it and we can talk about it. Okay. I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you're listening at this point in the podcast, you've been listening for a very long time. That means you must be invested in some way. Therefore, it would be so cool if you wanted to support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. It really helps out the show so much and I would just be really, really grateful if you did it. That would be just really nice of you and cool. And sharing this podcast with a friend, share it with someone who you think would be interested in what we talked about or another episode, sharing it with a friend, growing the podcast is something I want to do and you could help me and that would be really cool. Last but not least, if you want to check out the Hay House Writers Masterclass, check it out. There's a free masterclass that you can check out. The link is in the show notes. If you have any questions on that, email me and let me know. I would love to talk to you about it. I think you're awesome. Thank you so much for listening. 
Let's stay in touch. If you're in New York City, I'm doing an event at the Spring, a meditation center that I love so much on December 2nd. It's going to be meditation and journaling and a friend of mine is bringing treats. And then I would love to spend New Year's Eve with you. I will be at Kripalu doing a workshop on journaling and remixing your resolutions, meditation, journaling. Basically, I'm taking everything I've learned and every way that I've grown in the last year in 2018 and putting it into a workshop. Just, it's going to be great. I would love to see you there. Okay. All right. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.